Are you aware of the fact that there are some biblical promises related to Christmas that most Christians either don't know about or have forgotten? Stay tuned for a discussion of the forgotten promises of Christmas. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I want to talk with you about what I call the forgotten promises of Christmas. Yes, folks, you heard me right. I said the forgotten promises of Christmas. Now, I'm sure you're wondering what in the world that's all about, so let's get right to the point. Nathan, let's take a look at the scripture in which I think there are some forgotten promises of Christmas. Let's have you read Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Verse 26, all right. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, thank you, Nathan. Now, Nathan. Folks, this this particular passage has seven promises in it. I want you to notice these promises very carefully. First, Mary will conceive and give birth to a son. Second, He will be named Jesus. Third, He will be great. Fourth, He will be called the Son of the Most High. Five, He will be given the throne of David. Six, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And seven, there will be no end to His kingdom. Okay, Nathan, of these seven prophecies, which have been fulfilled? Any? The first four of the seven have been fulfilled. Okay, let's go through them for a moment. Okay. Mary will conceive and give birth to a son. Well, that's obvious. The virgin birth happened. Jesus was born. Mary did have a son. Second, that his name would be Jesus, and that's Yeshua in Hebrew, which means the salvation of God. And that was his name. That was his name. What was the third one? The third one was that he would be great. Now, history certainly attests that, right? After all, our whole calendar system is based on the birth of Jesus Christ. That's right. We measure time from Jesus. Right. Even we can change it to CE and Which is one of the reasons I believe the book of Daniel reveals that the Antichrist is going to change the calendar in the end times because he doesn't want it referring to Jesus. Well, like I was saying, the humanists can try to get rid of A.D. and B.C., okay. but the Antichrist is going to get rid of any reference right. to Jesus being. Okay, the fourth one, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, which means he would be called the Son of God. Yeah, he would be the Son of God and God in the flesh. That he resurrected from the dead proves his divinity. And he claimed that, that he was so God I in the flesh. And the Father are one. Okay, now that leaves us three. The three that are left are, he will be given the throne of David, mm-hmm. he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end to His kingdom. Now what about those three? Have they been fulfilled like the first four? 
They have not. They have still have a future fulfillment, a future literal fulfillment to be specific. So you're saying that one day Jesus will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem? Right. Now some people say that He ascended to heaven and He sits on the throne of God. But the throne of God and the throne of David is different. The yeah. throne of David is in Jerusalem. Yes, the, the Scriptures always make it clear that the throne of David is one place and one place only, Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and that He's sitting by His Father's right hand on His Father's throne. But He speaks about the fact that one day He will come and speak and sit on His throne, right. just as He sat on His Father's throne. Mm -hmm. And it says He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And uh, He's certainly not ruling over that house right now. They're in rebellion to Him because the house of Jacob is the Jewish people. Right, right. When Christ sets up His kingdom, the Jewish people will even have His name inscribed on their bells and pots. They'll, all of them will know Jesus if they don't know Him. And that is certainly not fulfilled now. Well, uh, that leaves us with these three that are unfulfilled. But you know, Nathan, the thing about it that's interesting is that both the Catholic Church and the majority of all Protestant denominations argue that those three have been fulfilled. They argue that those three were fulfilled symbolically, spiritually, in the church, and that the house of Jacob is the church and not the Jewish people, and that Jesus is reigning on the throne of David right now over the church, and therefore all of these prophecies have been fulfilled. What's your response to that? Well, why would the first four be literally fulfilled and then the, the last three be symbolically fulfilled? How do you symbolically fulfill Isaiah 24, 23? The moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before His elders gloriously. You've been to Jerusalem over 40 times. Yeah. Have you seen Jesus reigning from Jerusalem? Well, you know, if, if you're going to say that, uh, pro well, first of all, the, the point you made is a very good one. The okay. first four were fulfilled literally exactly what they meant. Oh, yeah. Why should we shift gears when we get to the last three and say, oh, well, those don't mean what they say. Those have been fulfilled symbolically and spiritually in the church. Uh, you know, I grew up in a church that taught me that. From the time I can remember, the first 30 years I was going to church, I was taught the Bible means exactly what it says from beginning to end yeah. unless it's talking about the future, in which case it never means what it says. You have to spiritualize it. But Nathan, if you spiritualize Scripture and spiritualize prophecy, then how can you ever know when it's fulfilled? You, you don't. You, you have to make up your own meanings. And that's the great fallacy with spiritualizing the Bible. You become God. You decide what is true and what is false. And that's heretical. <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> I mean, it really is. But it's so convenient when you can just say, well, it doesn't really mean this or it really doesn't mean that. Right. You take, for example, uh, the book of Revelation says that the millennium is going to last a thousand years. And it says that some six times over and over and over and over. And people say, well, that doesn't really mean a thousand years. It just means a long period of time. And so, you know, the millennium started back when Jesus was on the cross and, and it's going to continue until He returns. Uh, but a thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years. But the thing that's interesting is that when you go to Old Testament prophecy, and um, for example, Daniel discovered the scroll of Jeremiah that said the captivity is going to last 70 years. And they were in the 69th year. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, 70 years never means seven. Bible prophecy never means what it says. That, that could be 7,000 years or 700 years or it could just mean anything. Yeah. No, he yeah. took it to mean 70 years. Well, Isaiah 40, 4 through 5. 
Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places made straight and the rough places smooth. And we read in the tribulation about a number of earthquakes that flatten the mountains and yes. raise the valleys so that the millennial kingdom will there'll be a lot of plains in Jerusalem be raised up as the highest mountain. Now, that's a physical description of the land. How do you spiritualize geography? Well, it, it happens. I, yeah. <laughs> I've read people who have spiritualized it because there's this obsession with spiritualizing anything that has to do with the future mm -hmm. because there's a rejection really of what the Bible teaches about end times. Well, folks, um, those who take the position that the last three promises made to Mary have been fulfilled spiritually in the church are what we call amillennialists. These are the people who argue that there is not going to be any future reign of Jesus on this earth because we're living in the millennium right now. That's right. They argue that we're living in the millennium now. In just a moment, we're going to take a look at this amillennial viewpoint in detail. Okay, folks, let's get right to the issue. The amillennial viewpoint, the one that is held by the Catholic Church and by the majority of Protestant denominations, maintains that we are living in the millennium right now. Well, what about it, Nathan? Are we living in the millennium right now? I think you only have to read the Bible about the Kingdom of Christ to realize that we are not living in the Kingdom of Christ, or in other words, the Millennial Kingdom right now. Especially Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 describes a much larger Jerusalem. It describes a Millennial Temple that would actually cover the city of Jerusalem today. It talks about a river that flows out of Jerusalem into the Dead Sea and into the Mediterranean Sea, and that the Dead Sea is alive. People are fishing in the Dead Sea. I've been to the Dead Sea. It is dead. Well, I'm afraid you just don't understand Bible prophecy, Nathan, okay. because those who have an amillennial viewpoint say that that description of the future temple, which it goes into great detail, great in the, detail. that is simply a description of the church, and that that river that's flowing out is the proclamation of the gospel to all the world. And as it hits the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea becomes a life, that's talking about how the gospel transforms the life of an individual. Well, why would the Gospel need to go out when the Millennial Kingdom, everybody knows Jesus. The whole world has the knowledge of Jesus because Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem and all the nations go up and visit Him once a year. And if they don't, the rain is held back. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't go to Jerusalem <laughs> once a year to visit Jesus. He's not there. Well, it's just that when you interpret prophecy the way our millennials interpret it, it just becomes meaningless. I mean, here is a description of the future temple in great detail, great detail. And to just simply say, oh no, that just, that's just a, a reference to the church. Well, God knows how to communicate. He wants to communicate. You don't have to have a PhD in hermeneutics to understand God's Word. Right. You have to have the Holy Spirit to understand it in depth. But how do they explain then that Satan will be bound in a pit for a thousand years? Because well, oh, no that's very simple, Satan. Okay. You, I, I, I'm saying, <laughs> that's very simple. Saying, yes. uh, you, you, you just don't understand uh, uh, how to interpret prophecy in a spiritualized way. Okay, help me put my okay. spiritualizing. Well, what happened is that as a result of the death of Jesus on the cross, a believer today receives the power of the Holy Spirit, and that binds Satan. Ah, what about Jesus landing on the Mount of Olives and splitting it into two? I've been to the Mount of Olives, it is not split in two. When He comes back it's supposed to be split in two. Well, again, 
uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, theologians of the 20th century explained that. Uh, Nathan is talking here, folks, about a, uh, a prophecy that's in Zechariah chapter 14 that says Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives, and when his foot touches it, it's going to split. And his position was, well, the Mount of Olives stands for the human heart. Okay. And the return of Jesus is just simply you receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when his foot, when you do that, your heart splits in contrition and the enemy forces around your heart are, are destroyed. You, you just don't have the imagination that's necessary for symbolic interpretation. Well, the problem is, though, as I look at the first coming prophecies, and they were all fulfilled literally. These don't make any sense if we take a literal interpretation. Well, that's of the a good Bible. point, Nathan, and and uh, I, I just want to emphasize that point. Okay. Because okay. again, I grew up in a church that told me second coming prophecy never means what it says. And then huh. one day, when I was probably about thirty years old, I finally started reading the minor prophets that you're an expert on, and I got over to the book of Zechariah and started reading it, and it has just one prophecy after another after another concerning the first coming of Jesus, and they were all literally fulfilled. Yes. It says, for oh. example, he's going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. He'll be hailed as a king. Uh, that he'll be betrayed, betrayed by a friend, betrayed, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He'll be lifted up. He'll be pierced. And it suddenly occurred to me, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist, that if all the first coming prophecies in the book of Zechariah meant what they said, the second coming prophecies must mean what they say. And thank goodness, because I don't know about you, but living in this time period is not the Millennial Kingdom. This is not how I see Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on earth with wars all over well, the planets and riots. And People go to the book of Revelation, uh, Christians do, to read okay. about uh, the Millennium. Well, that's not where you read about the Millennium. Right, right. Most Christians don't read the Old Testament. They don't know the Old Testament. You want to find out, folks, about what... The, the Bible says about the millennium, what you do is you go to the Old Testament and you find out about in great detail. The only th information we have in the New Testament that's additional is the information that the millennium is going to last a thousand years. But you go to the book of Isaiah and the book of Isaiah is full of dreams and visions and words of the Lord concerning, and it says that peace, righteousness, and justice will flood the earth as the waters cover the sea. Do we see peace, righteousness, and justice flooding the earth today? No, not at all. Or what about the animals where the child can play and the vipers, the ox uh, and the uh, lion is eating straw right. like the ox. You've got the wolf lying down with the lamb, maybe not the lion with the lamb, but the wolf with the lamb. In other words, it's a time of peace. Or the people taking their uh, swords and beating them into plowshares. We're always on the verge of, of a major war. What you have to do is spiritualize every bit of that to argue that we are living in the millennium now. You know, I, have a, I got a good friend, okay. uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum. You know Arnold. He's uh -huh. spoken at our conferences. He's a Messianic Jew. And Arnold one time uh, was giving a talk about the millennium and he says, you know, I just can't understand these folks talk about we're living in the millennium right now. He said, all I can say is if I'm living in the millennium right now, I'm living in the slum area. <laughs> because, I mean, it talks about peace, righteousness, yeah. and justice flooding the earth. And we have anything in the world but that today. I know, I know. And it's sad that those who purposely, now I think, like you said, growing up you probably didn't know better, right? Because you were taught that and that's what you meant to believe. But I think when you actually start reading the Bible and taking it for well, the literal interpretation, all of a sudden that amillennialism falls away and you can take it as the wonderful promises that the Millennial Kingdom offers. Well, I, uh, I remember when I was only 12 years old, I had my first confrontation. I, uh, I was just flipping one day through the Scriptures. And I grew up in what was called New Testament church. We never studied the Old Testament. Never okay. And so I'm flipping over there and I find Zechariah 14. Ah, very and good it one. says that when the Messiah comes, He comes to the Mount of Olives. 
foot touches the mountain, splits in half, speaks a supernatural word, Antichrist and his force is destroyed. And it says in verse 9, on that day he will become king over all the earth. Wow. And I thought, this is amazing because every sermon I'd ever heard said there is not one verse in the Bible that even implies that the Messiah will ever put his foot on this earth again. So, I got my Bible and I went to see my preacher. Okay. And I sat down with him. I'm only 12 years old and I'm scared to death. And I said, <laughs> you know, you say there's not a verse in the Bible that says that the, the Lord will ever put his foot on the earth again. What about Zechariah 14? And I remember he turned over there and he read it and he read it. And I thought he was never going to say anything. And he kept reading it and reading it. And finally he looked up and he put his finger in my face and he said, son, I want to tell you something. I don't know what this means, but I'll guarantee you one thing. It does not mean what it says. Well, I thought, hey, I thought the Bible meant what it said from beginning to end. But that's what people do when they start playing games with it. You know, I believe, and, and I put out a video about this called The Beginning and the Ending. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, it's a video about how the two areas of the Bible that are most abused are the beginning and the ending. The beginning is spiritualized, Genesis. saying, oh, well, it wasn't six days of creation. It was six million years or six billion years or whoever knows what, but it certainly wasn't six days. And the ending, all spiritualized. If you start out spiritualizing, you're probably going to end up spiritualizing. And then you don't believe anything in the middle. Well, and then if, if mm -hmm. you know, if, if the beginning doesn't mean what it says, if the ending doesn't mean what it says, then how do I know that the story of the resurrection is true? Right. I mean, it, it, you, you've got to take God's Word to mean what it says. And it's just simple, plain sense meaning. And not apply the imagination to say, well, no, it means a thousand different things than what it says. Why do you believe that some people want to deny Jesus His Millennial Kingdom? That He just comes back, we all go to Heaven, and history is over. Well, I think one of the reasons is because the Bible indicates that it is going to be a kingdom where He's going to fulfill all of His promises to the Jewish people. Oh, and okay. so, He's going to reign in Jerusalem. David is going to reign over Israel in His glorified body. The law of God will go forth to all the nations through the Jewish people. Uh, people will come to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, Jesus and Jesus is going to fulfill all of His promises to the Jewish people. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, if you don't believe that God still loves the Jewish people, if you believe God has washed His hands of them, has no purpose left for Makes them, sense. and that they have been completely replaced by the church, then you cannot believe what the Bible says about the end times and about the Jewishness of the Kingdom that Jesus is coming to establish. Because the Jewish people will be a priestly people during the Millennial right. Kingdom, right? They will be esteemed and honored among the nations. And these will be people who are believers yeah, in Yeah, they're Yeshua. believers. They're not unbelievers, yeah, but they're, they're believing believers. Jews. And, and, but, but the majority of professing Christians in the world today, both Catholic and Protestant, are into what's called replacement theology. Yeah. And therefore they argue that God has washed His hands of the Jewish people, He has no purpose left for them, that they are Christ killers, that the church has replaced the Jewish people. And it wasn't until the early 1800s when dispensational theology was developed that people began to argue, oh no, no, God still loves the Jewish people. All you have to do is read Romans 9 through 11, mm -hmm. which says over and over He loves them, He still has a purpose for them, He's still going to bring a great remnant to salvation. 
which is going to occur at the end of the tribulation. He has not replaced them with the church, and that one day he's going to fulfill every promise he has ever made wow. to them. Instead, those in replacement theology say, oh no, all those promises have been transferred to the church. Well, if those promises don't mean what they say, and if they really were promises to the church and not to the Jewish people, how do we know God's going to fulfill the promises He's made to the church? Because He's made a lot of promises to yes, us. Yes, that could backfire. Oh, well, <laughs> absolutely. You could say, well, he doesn't really mean those. They're really promises to somebody else. Yeah. No, they're or promises to us. There are promises to the Jews that He's going to fulfill. There's promises to the church that He's going to fulfill. And I believe God is faithful. I believe He will fulfill every promise He has made. And one of those is Jesus is coming to reign in glory and majesty from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And the whole world is going to be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. Amen. So, amillennialism robs the Jewish people of their position and in turn ends up robbing Jesus of His victory and then the church our victory through Christ. Welcome back folks to our discussion of the forgotten promises of Christmas forgotten because of the era of symbolic interpretation. Folks, Nathan has recently produced a very interesting and entertaining video about the danger of interpreting Bible prophecy symbolically, and I'd like to share it with you at this point. Hello, I'm eschatologist Nathan Jones, and here at Maranatha Labs we research day and night to fight the deadly disease known as symbolicoly. Those infected with this inhibitive condition are at first difficult to spot, for they look like any other Christian. Show them a symbol out of everyday life, and they can identify it with ease. A beach ball. Beach. Ball. Car. 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 Flower. 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 Airplane. 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 But show them a symbol taken from the Bible, particularly Bible prophecy, and the Bible translation portion of their brains are quickly overcome by symbolicoly. The spirit. Butterfly. Dancing mice. I have no idea. <laughs> when it comes to the interpretation of the Bible, patients with this debilitating affliction often struggle over the question, should Bible prophecy be interpreted literally or symbolically? In 9 out of 10 cases, those afflicted with symbolically will intentionally spiritualize the scriptures, choosing whatever interpretation that suits their fancy, and then argue automatically that the plain sense meanings found in the Bible are not their true meanings. 90% of those suffering under this inhibitive interpretive condition may experience a disturbing inability to believe that God knows how to communicate, compulsive desires to strip Bible verses away from their context, sudden spasms of detective work searching for hidden meanings, manic mythologizing of the Genesis creation and revelation end time accounts, and delusions of grandeur, playing God by deciding what the Bible truly does or does not mean. If you are suffering from symbolicoly, there is hope. 
ask your local eschatologist about the fast-acting golden rule of interpretation. Yes, the golden rule of interpretation is the cure that will guide you to a literal interpretation of the Bible. Just generously apply this motto every single time you read the Bible. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense lest you end up with nonsense and you too will be cured from spiritualizing scriptures. Once you've started implementing the golden rule of interpretation, keep the Bible study portion of your brain healthy by applying the following eight treatments. One, the right approach. Always approach the scriptures with a childlike faith and an honest heart. Two, be filled by God's Spirit. Before you open your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to provide clear understanding. Three, the inspiration of scriptures. Because God himself inspired the writers of the Bible, accept the truth that what they wrote must be without error. Four, plain sense symbols. Let the Bible be its own best interpreter as to the meaning of its own symbols. Five, context, context, context. Meanings of words in the Bible should always be determined by their context. Six, the principle of searching. All verses on a particular topic should be searched out, compared, and then reconciled. Never hang a doctrine on one isolated verse. Seven, the problem of pre-filling. Allow that some Bible prophecies are pre-filled in symbolic type verse before being completely fulfilled later on. Eight, telescoping prophets. Understand that prophets often looked into the future and saw a series of prophetic events, not realizing they'd be separated by long time intervals. There are side effects from using the golden rule of interpretation. A deeper understanding of God, a new appreciation of the Bible, mental acuity, a richer faith, unbelievable hope, spiritual enlightenment, and an inexpressible joy. So fight the dreaded symbolicali with the golden rule of interpretation. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense lest you end up with nonsense. Why live with the heartbreak of confusion? Take the golden rule because he's worth it. No prescription necessary, available to all ages. Outstanding video, Nathan. I tell you, that was really great. Why don't you tell our folks about the Inbox series? Okay. Well, as you know, as web minister, I answer all the Bible prophecy questions that come into the ministry. And sometimes you don't like to read a long article. So what uh, I did, just along with my associate, is create short video answers that hopefully are entertaining. They educate, enlighten, and hopefully inspire you to check it out on our website, ChristinProphecy.org or LambLion.com, and our YouTube channel, Christ in Prophecy. Okay, thank you. Folks, as we bring this program to a close, let me assure you that God has not forgotten any of His promises He has made, and He intends to fulfill all of them for their plain sense meaning. We can be confident, therefore, that Jesus is returning to reign over this earth for a thousand years from Jerusalem, and that during that time the earth will be filled with peace, 
righteousness and justice as the waters cover the sea. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope you will be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. We want to pause for a moment in our study of Christmas and Prophecy to introduce you to a very valuable Bible prophecy study resource. It is this publication which we call the Christ in Prophecy Study Guide. It took me seven years to produce this guide, which was originally published in 1987. My goal was to catalog every Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament concerning both the first and second advents of the Messiah. But the prophecies are more than just catalog, they are arranged analytically by categories. Regarding the Second Coming prophecies, most people do not realize it, but there are many more prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures about the Second Coming than the First. These prophecies are outlined in this study guide in detail and are placed in chronological order according to the sequence in which they will most likely happen. In 1995 I started revising the guide and spent the next five years completely revising and expanding it to include the Messianic prophecies contained in the New Testament. The guide was then republished in an expanded second edition in 2001. It can be yours for a gift of $20 or more including the cost of shipping. Call the number you see on the screen and ask for the Prophecy Study Guide. As a bonus we will send you a copy of a special publication entitled, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? Again. Just call the number you see on the screen and ask for offer number 797, the Prophecy Study Guide. And the second coming booklet can be yours for a gift of $20 or more. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 